Welcome to Coach to Scale, how modern leaders build coaching cultures. I'm your host, Matt Benelli. Join me as we build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that effective coaching improves the performance of every team member. Our mission is to help leaders become better coaches. The Coach to Scale podcast is sponsored by Coachem, the world's first AI coaching execution platform that leverages evidence-based coaching to increase quota attainment. And with that, let's get started. All right, I'm excited to have the conversation with today's guest. As you'll see, this guest walks the walk when it comes to servant leadership and driving organizational success through others. He spent his entire career in the industry, uh, technology, B2B SaaS, working with industry titans such as Oracle, Salesforce, Palo Alto Networks, and he's also a limited partner at Stage 2 Capital, like myself, Bill Bagshaw. Hello. Welcome to the show. Matt, hello. Greetings from Vermont. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Great to have you. Uh, Vermont, out to Park City, a couple of places that this is considered the, uh, the low season. Uh, both places are going to boom when the snow comes, but uh, still beautiful right around now, right? It is. Yeah, I'm up here to do a little fishing. As you can see on the wall behind me, I have a thing for catching trout and such. So I'm going to give that a shot later on this afternoon. Well, uh, may they be plentiful. So, uh, you know, the great thing about the, about the show here is that I get to speak to guests like you, Bill, uh, who have been in the arena, who've made mistakes and not only live to tell about them, but live to tell others about them with the hopes of helping sales leaders and coaches and those committed to developing people along the way. Um, so let's, uh, let's get right into it. And I'm going to throw a, a softball question over to you to get us started. Bill, we, I know over the years, because we've known each other for, man, uh, longer than we probably care to remember because uh, we're getting old. But uh, You were uh, Burnett. You were Burnett when I, when I met yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you never age, though. Uh, Bill, what's a common myth about coaching salespeople that you now over time believe is misguided? Yeah. I was thinking about this, this topic because we were talking about it a little bit the other day. And I think particularly for front, first-time managers... Uh, and I know, I think, I think I fell into this trap. Um, I think there's, uh, a lot of folks think they have to, I think a lot of managers over rotate towards focusing on the outcomes, the measurements and the outcomes, i.e., you know, forecast goals, how much have you booked? What's your pipeline? How much pipeline have you generated? All of which is important stuff, but I think uh, newer managers can sometimes fall into a trap where they think pressuring on that, pressuring on the results, creating some anxiety around that, proving that they're brave enough, brave enough to crack the whip, if you will, mm -hmm. that that's what coaching salespeople is all about. You know, I'm a coach because I'll call my reps out if they're not generating enough pipe. I'll, I'm a coach because I'll call my reps out on, you know, too much of their, 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 you know, they're not hitting their linearity targets. Too much of their pipeline is slipping from month to month, quarter to quarter. quarter. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I think it's important to be mindful of performance. We all need to have our KPIs and such. But focusing on the end result uh, is not true coaching in my mind. Yeah. Right? That's focusing measuring. 
but do you know what I mean? Have you seen managers that think, hey, I'm now a manager. I now got to crack the whip on those results. How yeah, many calls yeah. have you made this week? How much pipe have you added? What have you closed? Boy, there's a lot that happens upstream from that, if you will, that I think falls into the bucket of true coaching. 100%. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, and I've heard it a million times. Most recently, somebody said, "My as a as a manager, as a leader, my job is to make sure my people do their job." Mm, yeah, that's probably part of it, but I don't know if that's the the whole kit and caboodle. I don't know if that's uh, falling into the category of coaching and developing people. But Bill, what do the best sales managers do that brings out the best in their reps? How do you achieve success through others? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I think that the, you know, the managers that I've um, seen be the most effective, that I have the most respect for, have an element of, what was the word you use? A servant's mentality, a servant leadership style. Servant leadership, yeah. And I, I think that that's, by the way, that coming back to your first question, that's another you know sort of early in management career mistake I see people um, fall into a trap on is the notion, hey, I'm now a manager. You all work for me, man. You're all here yeah, to do, yeah. do what I tell you to do. Yep, yep. And I tend to come at it, and the best managers I've seen and I've worked for, and you know some of them very well, um, they always maintain a, a servant leadership style element to their game where I felt like I could go to them for help and assistance, guidance, coaching, uh, and that they felt uh, intuitively, I think a lot of these folks intuitively felt that's part of what, they should be doing for me as my leader um, is uh, some amount of serving me and what I need versus just telling me what to do. Right. And you, you talked about in the past, I've, I've heard you talk about the importance of, as a, a leader, creating a psychologically safe environment. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I can. And I think it's important to understand, you know, in the context of complex solution selling, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I've spent the bulk of my career, as you mentioned um, in your opening remarks, um, selling um, enterprise software and very, very complex sales cycles, six, nine, 12, geez, 18 months, hmm. God forbid, hmm. right, Matt? Um, and it was always a couple of months too long. Always a couple of months too long, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some years we wish we, we wish we had a 13th month, right? Anyway, I think that, you know, it, it's, there's so much complexity so much changes from day to day, gosh, even hour to hour uh, on key pursuits, key deals, if you will, um, that, you know, the best reps that, that I've ever worked with are the ones that recognize that they need the soundboard with somebody. It doesn't always have to be Bill Bagshaw or Matt Benality, um, but, but they recognize that there's so much complexity, there's so many blind spots there's a thousand ways to lose a deal. There's usually under one or two paths to win a deal. And they recognize that there's a need to, to soundboard with, with, with experienced people. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, I have always felt that I wanted to foster that. Like, you know, folks that want to come and brainstorm, let's take an hour in a calm environment. We're not on a forecast call. We're not going to play stump the chump. Right. I'm going to create a psychologically safe sandbox for a rep to get on and for us to discuss all the flaws in their deals. Somebody that you and I used to know at Oracle, first name Greg, I loved an expression he used to use, which is um, every deal is flawed. 
There's no perfect deal. Right, right. And I use that line a lot. Um, I'll give credit to Greg Linteman. Um, but it's so true, right? And so I think it's so important as we look to maintain win rate, right, that reps feel comfortable that they can get on the phone in a psychologically safe sandbox and put on the table all the flaws with their deals, all the flaws with their sales cycles and gain help from their leadership chain and others on their virtual team to try and make strategic and tactical decisions that will lead to a high win rate. Um, I, I think it's, it, you know, the business I've been in for 35 years, it's a win rate business, man. They are precious, fragile eggs. It's hard to win these deals. You have to create an environment where your team feels as though they can come to you and to the broader community to discuss everything that's wrong. So the, the, the reps that perform, the people that perform the best, if you had to say one way or the other, did they come to you more as their leader or did they come to you less because they, they kind of knew it all or knew a lot? Absolutely. You know, you know. I mean, you know, um, I'm going to name some names that I consider legends, right, in my career. Uh, some of the best reps ever who, oh, by the way, went on to do other things and, and, and get into management and such. But I look back, you know, at the time I was managing them, people like Jeff Breslin and Pete Hesketh and Kim Carpico and Dave Afiades and David Kreberg and rest in peace, Buckley Cooney, one of the best ever. These people called me the most. And again, it wasn't because I was so great. It was because they recognized the need to look for all the flaws, to look for all the blind spots. They were brave enough to ask for help, uh, humble enough to ask for help. And if I do say so, I created an environment where that was okay. You know, and it was a good thing. It was actually the fun part of the day was, you know, the, the phone rings and, uh, and you get to tear apart deals and brainstorm and, and, and help them, right? And those reps that called the most, I'm telling you, they were the most successful. I'm, I'm, that's the short answer to your question. I gave you a long with an answer. That's the short answer. Absolutely, they were the most successful. And I think that's important to reinforce. And time and time again, I work with salespeople, sales leaders, people, you know, especially earlier in their career who think it's uh, bad, who think it's a sign of weakness to ask their manager for help. And what you're saying is exactly the opposite over 35 years of doing this. The people that perform the best are those that soundboarded with their manager, you know, called their manager, reached out to their manager the most. And you're not saying that because it's you, uh, but you're saying this because the, the top people soundboarded with a bunch of different people to include their manager, but it certainly wasn't a sign of weakness to ask for help and for to poke holes in the deals. The opposite of that though, what's your observation for people who didn't ask for help? What was the impact on win rates uh, you know, for them and for the organization? Well, they didn't have as many people looking out for them, looking out for their deals, poking at the deals, trying to find the, wet, the, the blind spots, the weak spots, the, the traps that were set by the competitors. Therefore, you know, their, their win rates were lower, materially lower. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Lower win rates. You know, and then, and then it's, it's a cycle, Matt, right? Then you get into a situation where now all of a sudden you are focusing on the results as a leader a little bit. Some mm -hmm. of us sometimes would do it too much. And you create a vicious cycle where um, they do start to fear coming on calls because they're getting beat up a little bit because their deals, they're losing deals, their deals are slipping. I, I think as a leader, we need to break that cycle and create that environment where they want to come to the call because they know ultimately it's going to put money in their pocket um, and they're going to feel a whole lot better about, uh, you know, about the job that they're doing. 
hundred percent. And and so maybe the next part of that, when they come to you, when, when it's often said that the best sales leaders ask the best questions. What are your thoughts on that? What are one or two questions you you found super helpful over time? You know, one of them was we were talking about this the other day. You hit me with this question, and I and I was thinking about it, and I was sort of two things came to mind. One was um, something that's specific to you know an opportunity that may be in front of us, the rep and me, mm-hmm. and then something that's more sort of longer term. Um, so, so first, I would say that uh, one of the questions that I always like to ask is, "Hey." What do you think this is going to cost the customer? Million bucks? Yeah, Bill, million bucks. Why would they give you a million bucks for this? It's amazing how the answer is sometimes, yeah. well, I don't know. Well, gee, that's a problem. We're going to have to discount to 50%. I, you know, <laughs> hey, man, you know, and a lot of the software you and I have been selling, Matt, I mean, a million, I mean, we, we've done deals that are 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, right? Why would this, co- they're going to go to the, CFO and the board of directors, and they're going to say they need to spend $5 million. $5 million. I'm sure there's lots of things that they could invest in for $5 million. Why are they going to give you $5 million? What serious problem are you solving for yeah, them? Yeah. What problem How are you helping are them attract and retain more customers? How are you helping them grow profit margins, You know, uh, grow profitability, drive the stock price, blah, blah, blah? How are you doing that with your software? And remember Arun Johnny? Remember that name? So I always took something from him. I, you know, it, it may seem super basic to everybody uh, watching and listening, but Arun Johnny, when you know, I came to Oracle, I barely knew what a database was in 1999. And he said, "There's only three reasons. There's only three reasons why why people buy this stuff. It's either to, it's either to help them make money, to save money, or manage risk." And, and all those things you just said and all the things that come up, it all falls into those three buckets. Um, and you know, Matt, I've been part of organizations. Uh, I'm going to call another name out. Um, Tom Bonus really led, uh, well, at Oracle, there were sort of two waves of it. So Sonny Singh's org and then Tom, John Boucher put Tom Bonus, uh, two people we know quite well, in a position to drive an initiative across the, uh, the entire business and commercial across North America focused on value selling and, and, and focused, you know, I think we got to a point in the organization where there was as much focus and energy put on answering that very simple question as there was in traditional demo prep, mm. you know, clicking around what you're going to show and this, that, and the other thing, none of which matters if you don't have really good answers to the, you know, question of why on earth should I give you $5 million, you know, to implement this stuff. Um, I've seen, Great leaders make that part of their, their, their day in and day out with reps. Yeah. And I've also seen great sales organizations actually dedicate resources to it, as John did when he put Tom in place to drive that, and it was wildly successful. Um, so that's a, a, another long-winded answer to a very simple question, but that is, that is one that I like to ask a lot. And then taking a step back from the deals, um, I do like to ask reps, especially as we approach QBR time or annual review time, um, you know, what are your suggestions for moving the business forward? Let's put aside your forecast. Let's put aside your deals. You are, you're in the weeds. You're closer to it than me. You actually know more about, a lot of reps don't realize they actually know more about the business than their management chain. That's a weird dynamic, right? But it's true because the reps are living it minute to minute, hour to hour. And um, I was fortunate enough especially in my Oracle career, 
uh, you know, rolling up to Amit Singh and John Boucher and ultimately to Keith Block, that there was this expectation, even going back as far as the John Nugent days, um, the culture that was created was one where um, we were rewarded for coming forth with ideas that could help the greater business move forward. I mean, and I had a few initiatives that, you know, were uptaken and driven nationally and all sorts of people did, including Tom Bonos, like I mentioned. And I think it's a really, really powerful thing. I've been in organizations where that's not the case, where it's very top-down. It's very autocratic. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, at Oracle, it did, there, that shift did happen, right? Um, but I benefited in my time there from an environment where I felt it was incumbent upon me, it was expected of me, to be able to answer that question, certainly in a QBR, um, but even on a daily basis. Uh, and I like to ask my reps that now, as a result yeah. of learning that, right, what could we be doing better? How can we move the business forward? And it could be, any, it could be something we're going to do with the BDR or something we're going to do with partners, something we're going to do with field marketing. There's, you know, there's a wide range of different kinds of things, different levers that we could pull. Um, but I like to ask that question as a leader, yeah. and it ties into the psychologically safe thing. I think my experience has been that the best reps, the mature experience reps, I named a bunch of them who are the ones that call the most and engage the most. They actually, um, you know, we all work for money, Matt, right? But we also, you know, we have pride. We, we, we you know, we, we worry about, so we want to be self-actualized. Yeah. Hang on to that. Cause I, Bill, hang on to that thought about where you're going there. Cause I love it. And I, I, I have a question to extend this part of the discussion. I, you, you absolutely did. So like, so just to kind of recap that, the question was what what types of questions you know do great sales leaders ask and one of them was hey why is this prospect why is this client going to spend x amount of dollars and the other one was what are you doing to move the business forward on the latter one i i think you learn a lot about what you hear because if you hear uh, nothing right that tells you maybe you don't have the the you know the brightest bulb maybe you don't have the best rep maybe he or she's not engaged for whatever reason but the 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 good ones the best ones have great answers to which you can share with the rest of the team going back to the the first question you said though which is why is the customer or prospect going to give this money you know 5 million dollars a million dollars there's a lot of people, you know, especially in, in SaaS, high-volume businesses that aren't doing million-dollar deals, Bill. Wouldn't you say the same question applies, though? Why is the prospect giving us going to spend or invest any money? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because think about it. I mean, you know, they have to go defend. Well, let's just say it's 100K. That's still a lot of money. They need to go defend the ask. Whatever and there needs is. to be business reasons for it, right? 100%. And, and I, I'll say this earlier in my career. I was kind of afraid of those conversations. Like, I'm not an accountant, you know? I, you know, I, I don't, I can kind of sort of read a balance sheet and an income statement, but I wasn't that good at it. Uh, what I learned was- Come on, the, Pride of Ithaca College. Oh, that's right, Pride that's of Ithaca right. College, the business school up there. Yeah. Geez, I shouldn't, have, you know, you have to delete that that part. We'll edit it out, yeah. I, uh, I don't want to offend the business school at Ithaca College. But in all honesty, you know, um, I was not getting in front of a CFO the, the true economic owner of the project who's holding the purse strings and having a, a business conversation, forget about the product, forget about the demo, forget about the user interface, all that stuff that I, earlier in my career, I tend to fixate so much on that, the product and what are we going to show? We got to do all these dress rehearsals of the demo and all that. And, and 
that, that's not that that stuff's not important because preparation in that way is important. I would argue that none of that matters if you can't have the business discussion around why do anything, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, the sooner that, let's get back to coaching. I, I think, uh, especially working with earlier in career reps, coaching your reps, giving them the confidence in those one-on-one conversations, let them trial run with you, dress rehearse with you, the business conversation around value, around why do anything. Super, super, super important. Huge co- coaching opportunity out there for, I think, all sales leaders. Because a lot of folks, present company included, first few years, I don't know, maybe first 10 years out of school, I didn't have a lot of confidence in those conversations. I now find it an easy conversation. And what's, what's fascinating about it um, is I think if you, as a sales leader, if you get good at those conversations, as a rep, if you get good at those conversations, it almost doesn't matter what you're selling. Right. If you can answer those three questions, why, why buy anything? Why buy our solution? And why buy it now? Uh, you, you insert the company or the solution name here, right? Yeah. Get a little smarter on talking about CapEx versus OpEx. You know, get a little smarter on talking around return on investment, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, go a long way in your sales career. And, and I'll emphasize it again. I mean, if the focus, if the culture is a beatdown culture, if the, if, if the culture is um, the beatings will continue until, what's that expression? Yeah. Until yeah. morale improves. Yeah. That was, like, <laughs> that was one of our uh, mottos in the Marine Corps. The beatings will continue until morale improves. Yeah. 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 Well, you're, you're tougher than me. So no, you, no, uh, no. you obviously hung in there through all that. But um, I, I just, you know, I, I think it feeds into that too, though, is my point is that if reps, they're getting their sea legs on, on talking about sort of the, 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 the business aspect of it, the value side of it, boy, if they're afraid that they're going to beat up, get beat up for saying something stupid, um, you, you know, you're not going to get reps to a point where they're really sharp in this area. And I think it's crucial that they get sharp in this area. And, and I had a mentor one time who could tell that I was uncomfortable in a situation going through a deal. Clearly, I didn't have all the answers and he was pressing me, and not in a bad way. It was, it was certainly a safe environment. I didn't feel that safe, but it was. Uh, and he was just pointing out, like you said, the flaws in the deal. And he stopped when he realized that I, I was trying to have the perfect answer. And he said something to the effect of, hey, I know you don't have the perfect answer. I'm asking you these questions, and I know they're uncomfortable. But if we're going to win this, we're going to win it together and we got to get the answers. And he pulled out a phrase. He said, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. And, oh, that's and, great. and, and he's that. like, this is a safe environment. That's basically what he was saying. Like, this is peacetime. When you're out with the customers and the prospects, that's the tough, that's the battle to use, uh, the, to use that type of analogy. So totally, totally get it. You were going somewhere and I, and I cut you off a while back and you're going toward, you know, you said a lot of salespeople are motivated by money, but that's not, I think what you're saying is that's not the only thing they're motiv- motivated by. So Bill, are salespeople only motivated by money? And if not, uh, what else, what else drives them? Well, I mean, I think we all like to wake up in the morning and feel good about what we're doing with our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we want to be able to turn to our wife, our kids, our family, extended family, and feel proud about what we're doing in our lives. 
And I guess, you know, if you're making a whole bunch of money, I guess you can hang your hat on that and feel good somewhat. But, you know, I don't know. My best days were, sure, when I closed a big deal. But boy, if I had an idea that got embraced by senior leadership, I felt, I felt great. If, you know, if I was given a compliment in front of the team, I felt great. I felt self-actualized. I felt like, hey, I know what I'm doing. I'm in the right job. What a great environment I'm in. And I think particularly with the senior reps, you know, the Eagles, mm -hmm. the top, top people that financially perform and they do it the right way. Yeah, yeah. And you can kind of let those guys and gals run a little bit on their own. Those folks thrive on that kind of feedback from leadership. You know, I'm not just a monkey spinning a wheel. I'm a human being that is trying to earn a living for my family. Uh, and it's important to me that I, uh, that I feel successful in what I'm doing. And I found that if you treat those folks with the amount of respect that they've earned, boy, the loyalty goes up and, you know, that's an important thing, right? Attrition's very expensive, particularly if it's your top reps. 100% so, there, yeah. I, yeah. So I think that's another important cultural thing to pay attention to. You know, it's an EQ thing. I think it comes naturally to a lot of people, but not everyone. Yeah, uh, just prospects buy for their reasons on their timelines. Well, so too salespeople uh, come to work for their reasons, not the their manager's reasons or not the company's reasons. So finding out what drives them is uh, super super key. And uh, and I think you, you did a great job. And everyone's them. a little different, right, Matt? Right, it's the old Bill Parcells thing. Everyone's a little different. Um, there, there were, you know, the things that I knew that really mattered to Buckley, um, were a little bit different than the things that I knew mattered to Kim, some similarities, but, you know, I think that, uh, leaders that can tap into that, you know, I know the leaders that I responded to best in my career had a pretty good sense for what moved me outside yes, of yeah. work. What well, is Bill all about? And, and could somehow, without getting too close, tap into that and develop a bond and a relationship um, that was powerful bit for business too. Yeah. They're unlocking that intrinsic motivation right there. They're lighting that fire within each, each person. So Bill, you, you described in the past, uh, and we talked about your quadrant and some other things, but can you describe the framework at a high level that, that you've used for coaching salespeople over time? I, I can. Yeah. And, and I was taught this, uh, um, early in, in, in my Oracle career, uh, honestly, I don't remember whether it was John or Amit. It was one of those two gentlemen. That's okay, Bill, because you know, you know what the rule of three is, right? The rule of three is the first time you use, uh, take something from somebody, their idea, you give them credit. And the second time you use it, you say, I, I, I heard it from somebody. I'm not sure who, but from the third time on, it's yours. You own it. So, you know, right. Well, enough time's gone on, gone on yeah. that, you know, I probably could own it because I've used it a lot. We're, we're talking long, long time ago, but you know, um, I have a very simple matrix that I use. Um, I, I I'm stealing from the Gartner magic quadrant approach. Uh, and on one axis is financial performance. So up here would be top overachiever financially down here would be underachievement financially. And then the horizontal axis would be behaviors mm -hmm. attitude. Um, and you know, far right would be all the right behaviors doing it the right way. Good team player. On the far left would be somebody who's um, in the extreme um, toxic. I don't like to use the word cancer, but toxic 
um, irrespective of financial performance, a drag on, on, on the, uh, on the organization. And, um, frequently in my, in my management career, I have taken a magic marker and literally drawn that quadrant and ass reps where they think they are. Go put a dot of where you think you yeah, are. Yeah. I'm sure they're always, they always nailed it, right? They were always exactly where you thought. So, so, some did, uh, some didn't, you know, the, right. the, the most probable, the most problematic scenarios are the ones where you've got extreme financial performance. Somebody's 150% of their quota, mm-hmm. but they're toxic mm-hmm. and they're, they're negative on the organization. And they, they think because they're 150% of the number that they, oh, you know, they, they put their dot in the far upper right of the quadrant and then hand me the marker. And I said, okay, well, this is how you're perceived by your team and by your, 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 your leadership um, as well as, the surrounding team that you work with, you're actually over here. And that can lead to some really, uh, it's, it's just a very simple, but yet powerful way to sort of visualize and start a conversation with somebody. Um, and, and just so, because there's people listening to this and, and we, we don't have the visual up there, but the, that toxic, that problematic situation that you're describing is a top performer who is not exhibiting the positive attitude and they're not uh, demonstrating the, the proper behavior and activity on a daily basis. And that's what makes the extra. Everything's toxic. a battle. Everything's a complaint. Uh, constantly. And, and what happens is you've got the folks that are not yet financially performing, but they're doing all the right things. And we believe that that person is going to cross over and, start attaining um, financial success, but it's taking a little bit of time. If they're observing this person that is 150, 200% of the number, and all that person does is battle with people or is negative with people and complaining, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that's not the, that's not the behavior that we want to ha- have copied or mimicked, you know, replicated. So we, so we hires that are trying to cross over that line into financial performance. Mm. So we could talk, uh, whole, we could do a whole show. We could write a whole book and books have been written about this exact topic, but let's just, let's cut to the, uh, the end on this one. You let's say you've identified this person and you've brought it to their attention that even though their performance is well above average, that their behavior and their attitude is a detriment to the team. And you've coached them and you've tried and tried and tried and you've done all the right things, yet it doesn't change. The dilemma, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of new managers, new sales leaders out there that run into this. What do you do? Do you cut this person loose? And they're 150% of their number. Do you cut them loose or do you just grin and bear it, suck it up and deal with it? Mind you, again, you've done everything. To try to change to try to change this person what do you do so we've already been through the process of the one-on-one counseling All we've already been through the process of following up with an email or two saying i just want to reiterate it's these specific behaviors that are probably you know, problematic to the team you've done all the right moral coaching and all the right checking the hr boxes you've done everything my experience is that you then follow that up with a mid-year performance review i'm sort of making this up but you know mid-year performance review where it gets real I don't know if it's a five star rating, you know, and they're expecting they're going to be a four or a five because they're 150% of the number, and all of a sudden they're a two because the behaviors that you've asked them to 
improve upon for the for the the betterment of all um it gets real and and you know it oftentimes um that results in my experiences is, is they, they leave they, they tend to leave you know um and you have you had have you had to do that for sure and what's the impact been on the on the team so you 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 cut a top performer loose who there was a lot of collateral damage it was broken glass but everyone knows they got it done they were going to the club trips they were making all the money what what, what is the, what's the reaction of the team they leave the you know i i so i i've had a, a situation like this not that long ago where so um call and talk to the talk to the reps one-on-one hey just want to make sure we talked about this. I know so-and-so was an important part of the team and it was a friend of yours. Oh, Bill. Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, I, I, dude, I don't know how you put up with that. For so- I, it all comes out. They all see it. Yeah. And, and actually, the, the leader's stock rises. Absolutely. Here. Yeah. Uh, and now, yeah, this is not black and white stuff, right? There's a lot of gray in, the, in these situations and and this is where managers earn their money is sorting through it and making, I mean, that's a tough decision. You know, imagine you're a manager and you're behind in your number uh, uh. and you're going to cut loose somebody that is your top financial performer because of these behavioral, it, those are tough decisions and a great opportunity for me as a leader to soundboard with my management chain to make sure I've got checks and balances on this thing. My experience has been that, um, once the individual leaves, everybody opens up and speaks candidly, yeah, and it yeah. is a relief to the organization. I, 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 I like it every single time. Every single time. I, and I echo that sentiment, but I also agree that it's, it's a tough decision to make recognizing the pressures that managers, especially frontline leaders, face on a daily basis. And then on top of that, you have to have the support of senior leadership because otherwise they're like, what are you doing? You're doing, doing? Yeah. your best, yeah. your best rep, your best seller. Exactly, and that and that's why like uh, coaching culture needs to really you know cascade uh, from from the top down. Really, really good stuff. Uh, let's pivot just a little bit, Bill, um, and 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 learn a little bit more about you. Uh, as you mentioned, you've been doing this for a while, right? You've done a lot of great stuff. You you know you've uh, skinned your knee, you stubbed your toe along the way too. Talk a bit about your career journey and its influence on your value system as a sales leader. Oh boy, that's a big question, Matt. Yeah. Um, well, I know I've heard a, a ton of those Bagshaw isms, and I've heard people refer to Bagshaw isms along the way. So you got those from somewhere, right? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, I, so got out of college, got into hardware. If you want my career history. Um, uh, I, my, my, <laughs> my first job was basically selling, um, green screen, mini computer based word processing systems, uh, in a market. I didn't know any better. I was young and stupid, uh, in a market that had already gone IBM compatible PC with word perfect. <laughs> so that was a, a, a tough way. I learned a lot of hard lessons there, uh, mostly around perseverance. Um, but I pivoted into software and, um, Worked in what was called the MRP2 industry back then, became ERP, Gartner coined ERP for a company that's now part of um, Infor, a company called Symex, the Sightline product line. And then was over there for about four years and then um, focused on mid market and uh, 
in the mid 90s, mid late 90s, uh, Oracle, SAP, others were starting to move down market into the broader market, the Ray Lane term. Uh, and I was one of the first reps in the country hired in to, um, to work on that. Um, we're going back to like 1997, 96, 97. Um, and, uh, you know, I was fortunate that I, I got brought in and worked for a, a bunch of really highly competent people that went on to do big, big jobs. And when you think about that, right, when you think about the, I mean, because you had the benefit. Like, so when you think about, like, you, you, you take something from uh, Cymex, you take something from Oracle, you take something from Salesforce, you take something from Palo Alto Networks, you think of, like, all the good deals and situations and all the, like, what, what are a couple of things that just really shaped how you view the world as a sales leader? Well, let me just say this, that one of the things that um, Keith Block Keith Block was famous for a quote. I've heard him say it a bunch of times, <laughs> and it's always stuck with me a little bit. It was, um, and this is even before when he, he had the big, big job at Oracle. I mean, we were in the same office in Waltham, Mass. And hey, Keith, can you give me some career advice? Sure, Bill. Find a great leader and imitate what they do. <laughs> yeah. Go down the hall. Go down the hall, and trust me, they're there, Bill. Go, go, take note. Take a mental note of the great things that those people do. And just for a while, while you're getting your sea legs and all that, you know, you're a first-time manager and all that, um, just imitate what they do. And then you're going to figure out your own style a little bit. Uh, and that always sort of stuck with me. And I was, um, I was fortunate, like I said, that I was able to imitate people. And you know the people I'm talking So I'm going to talk about, you know, Amit Singh, John Yeah, Shea. tell us a little bit about it. Like time you benefited from, from really good coaching. Oh, gosh. Um, a Tom, I, no, like where you were going with it. Like that's exactly it. Like you worked for some phenomenal people. And I think that's what you're. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Folks that have gone on to have big, big jobs um, at, at other companies, president level, et cetera, et cetera, EVP level. And I, you know, I'm forever grateful for that because um, it was like going to graduate school for enterprise software selling that I got to work for and with a lot of these folks. And I think a lot of what I've been um, talking to you about today, honestly, were lessons that. I learned from those people. Um, you know, I talked about, I think, managing with, you know, psychologically safe environment. I've spoken about creating a culture where uh, it's psychologically uh, uh, safe and, and reps feel as though they'll be praised for coming up with new and inventive ideas and thinking differently. One thing that I didn't leave out, which certainly was a, that I did leave out, which was a big lesson for me when I came to Oracle working for some of those folks was sort of the analytical aspect of the business and really digging into the data and seeing where the data leads you around hypotheses and, you know, fact-based decisions that could improve the business. Um, that was a very, very big learning for me early, early on. Um, I got a heavy dose of that working for a bit, certainly for John as well. Uh, and I thrived in that kind of a scenario where uh, I could dig into data and look for trends and analytics and come up with some suggestions based on that. And a lot of that stuff falls into the moving the business forward bucket. Mm -hmm. And, and those, those gentlemen created an environment where um, I felt really good. I took pride when I went home at night in feeling like I came up with an idea to help move the business forward in a fact-based way that was credible and over time, 
you know, if you do that with your leaders, um, you build trust, meaning that the leadership has trust in you as a, as an advisor, right? As an advisor, and it becomes a two-way coaching scenario. Mm -hmm. I'm coaching, but they're also receiving feedback from me. Maybe we won't call it coaching. Maybe we'll call it feedback, but it's very similar. And if you can get into that sort of a dynamic, that build that kind of a culture and retain really good people, like some of the names that I mentioned, boy, you know, a bachelorism, right? Enterprise software, it's a win rate business. Hmm. There's just not that many cycles at one time. You have to have a high win rate to be successful in enterprise, uh, enterprise software. It's a win rate business. And what did you say before? You said there's a, a thousand ways to... I think there's a, a thousand, yeah, there's like a thousand ways to lose a deal. And there's only like one or two paths to get there. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to, to hire, you know, attract, hire, enable, um, motivate, retain the people that are the very, very best at that. You know, they're, they're the people that I, I know that what I like to use is, you know, I think when you're working on a deal, a big complex deal, I like to hold up a Rubik's cube and it's like every hour you get a new piece of information about your deal and you twist the Rubik's cube and now it looks different. And oh my gosh, there's a whole difference. We just learned some new information. I got to get back in the line with my leadership team in that psychologically safe sandbox because the Rubik's cube just changed from where it was two hours ago. And uh, finding the kind of people that have the mental capability, the aptitude to be able to handle that, right? how often things change, how complex it can, can be, uh, and fostering an environment where they can thrive in that kind of a scenario, uh, serve me well, serve me well. And, and you know, with the Rubik's Cube, it's con- things are constantly shifting, right? So how do you get to the point where you get it all lined up? And as a manager, you can't come in and just take the stickers off and put it in, you know, with the, with the way it goes. You have to work together to get there, and it's, it's a slow evolution, and you need people that can hang in there, persevere through it. And you talked about feedback. And the feedback, I think, is what really helps get that Rubik's Cube eventually lined up and uh, solved, if you, if you will. Uh, great leaders, the best leaders give continuous, actionable feedback. But it's not always construed as positive sometimes it's not what you want to hear. Would you agree with that? Like it's sometimes like the feedback is, you know, you're not, I know you're trying really hard. You're working really, you know, you got, you got a, a lot that you're putting into this, but we might need to look at doing things differently. What are your thoughts on that? It's a spoonful of medicine. And I think it's around how you, how you deliver that message, but it's sure, you know, that is an important part of coaching. But I just don't, the point I was trying to make a half hour ago is I don't think that can all just wait to, and I think you're saying the same thing. That can't just wait till a beat down, a beat down on a forecast call. No, no. Why didn't you do this? You idiot. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, it's upstream from that because you're, you're in constant conversation and dialogue. Real time. Because real it's time. so complex. You're twisting the Rubik's cube. Okay. Hey man, you really, I, I'm shocked that you missed this dude. I got to call this out. Yeah. 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 What were you thinking? Like, you know, where's your head at? uh that that kind of a thing and that's part of the job i mean that's that is absolutely part of the sales leadership job coaching job and 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 most of the time the 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 best people are the ones who say oh i know totally especially if they know where your heart is especially if they know that bill operates in a psychologically safe he, he creates an environment that's safe for me 
to have blind spots. Um, and yet he's pressing me on this. He's not happy about this. Hmm. Ooh. Yeah. That's not just bluster. It's not just rhetoric. It's not just me being a hothead. It's this is a little different than how the conversations usually go. All I'm trying to say is that when, when it's time to pull that lever, it's that much more impactful in a good way to help the rep progress his or her skills and career because I've earned the right to give really honest, impactful feedback that they know I'm just trying to help them, man. I just, I just want to help. You made, you made the two points that I was going to use to summarize. You earned the right and they know that you have their back, right? So coming from the same place, like, yeah, I should so, have said that earlier. I think that's so important. If, if, if that the reps know that you have their back, if they feel like you're, that their job's always at risk and people are always playing stump the chump and it's always a beat down. It's really, really hard. Uh, it, it, it really gums up the works around a, a good relationship with leadership, um, which as we've talked about at nauseum is so important to maintaining that win rate in the business that we're in, you know, mm -hmm. complex selling. hundred percent. Wow. Bill, um, learned so much today, servant leadership, how to deal with uh, toxic uh, top performers, uh, creating a psychologically safe environment, uh, leveraging data to make um, the, the best decisions possible out there in the business. Um, really, really appreciate the time today. And uh, good. All right. So we're going we're gonna to leave it right there. Bill, really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks a lot for investing your time. All right. Good luck out there. Thank you. Maybe and I'll see you in Park City. Hey, come on out. Come on out. Um, and thanks to all of you out there for listening. If you learned something today, if you laughed a little bit, if you know somebody who would benefit from hearing this, or if you, if you have a recommendation on someone who you'd like to hear from on the show, uh, please share it. Uh, please share the link uh, to Coach to Scale. Again, Bill, thanks. It's been my pleasure to host this conversation on behalf of Coach to Scale. And until next time, coach them if you want to keep them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Coach to Scale, How Modern Leaders Build Coaching Cultures. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at coachem.io. That's C-O-A-C-H-E-M dot I-O. And follow us on Twitter at Coachem Now. See you all next week. Thanks for joining. And remember, coach them if you want to keep them. <laughs>